This is the Idea Time Show, Idea Time Show with Dr. Joe North, helping facilitators expand their creativity, confidence, and impact through the power of innovation in action. Gain confidence as a facilitator, confidence with the technology, and confidence with your content and event design. Tune in every week for practical tips, strategies and interviews that will accelerate your personal and business success. And now, here's your host, Dr. Joe North. Another great episode for you in this show. I'm joined by Dr. Joanna Berry of Durham University. We talk about all things entrepreneurial mindset, what it is, how to develop it, why entrepreneurial mindset is important to life and not just to business and startups and corporate environments. Joanna gives some great tips and also tells about her own story of how she started her own business and then went into becoming professor of entrepreneurship. There's lots of great ground covered in this show. I think my favorite quote is that you can't climb a mountain by starting at the top. So loads of value. I think you'll really enjoy this show. Well, I'm super excited to introduce Dr. Joanna Berry to the podcast today. Joanna will tell us all about herself, but she is Professor of Entrepreneurship at Durham University, Associate Dean for External Engagement at the University Business School as well. And in addition to that is a Director of the Durham Energy Institute. So we're here to talk about entrepreneurial mindset and innovation and finding opportunities through thinking differently. So um, Joanna, it's a real pleasure to welcome you to the show. Would you kick off by telling us about what you do and about how you came to do what you do? I sort of tripped and fell into it, to be perfectly frank, in true entrepreneurial style. So I'm, as you've said, Professor of Entrepreneurship and I teach knowledge, understanding and hopefully insight about business, how to start it, how to run it to my students all over the world. So I've been in Mumbai, San Francisco, Boston. I'm off to France next week to work with students on an international basis because they will all be working in an international world. I'm also director for Durham Energy Institute, which is a sort of meeting point for energy and society. It's all about how we best help the world to reach net zero and importantly achieve a just transition. And I'm trustee as well of a social enterprise where uh, we, we support and advise other existing social entrepreneurs to develop and to grow their businesses. So a sort of a wide portfolio of things that I do in and around the day job, but I was originally supposed to be a lawyer. That's what, that's what my parents fondly thought that I would do. So my first degree was law, which I hated. I practiced in South Africa um, in 1985, 86, 87 trying my best to defend black people and support them in a world where, you know, Nelson Mandela was still in prison at that time. It was a very different world to the world we're in now in South Africa. After a career in international business development, when I came back to the UK, I sort of tripped and fell into entrepreneurship, really, on the basis that A, I wasn't a particularly good employee. I'm terrible at being told what to do. Uh, but also I really enjoyed everything that I'd learned about working with people, about getting things done, about taking innovative ideas and making them happen, about breaking down barriers for women in business, which was quite a big deal uh, for me back in the sort of advertising and media industry that I came back to from South Africa in the late 80s and early 90s. I came into academia when my son was two and my dot-com had failed horribly. 
and I needed to take a deep breath and regroup and the opportunity existed for me to do a one-year MBA so I came back into the academy to do that the plan being I'd go back into business once I'd finished my MBA and it didn't happen I stayed in academia because I suddenly discovered that I loved this environment where you could sort of swim around in an intellectual sea of knowledge and understanding and tap into other people's greater understanding of really interesting things like where ideas come from and how businesses grow and scale and looking back at all the things I'd done in my entrepreneurial past and realizing that the theory told me that a lot of them were going to fail. And if I'd only known that theory, maybe I would have done slightly better in business at times. That's the short version of how I got to where I am now. I did my PhD, which was all about the impact of technology on the music industry. And I do a lot of work now with uh, women in business, with students starting and developing and scaling new businesses and with people starting businesses that help other people, hence my interest in social entrepreneurship. How interesting. And what did you learn from that failure, from that early business experience that you think you've carried through? And what were some of those insights that with hindsight, if you'd known? Because I think that sort of insight is really useful. Yes, the retrospectoscope is an infinitely powerful piece of equipment. You know, if only I had known how important the team of people around you is, for example, to get the right people around you when you're starting a business and not just to employ people that you like, although that's important, and not just to employ people that you know, although how else do you employ somebody, but also to look at the things that you're good at and the things that you're not good at and be ruthlessly honest about that and pull people around you who can complement you rather than echo and mirror what you do. That would have been one of the first things that I would have taught myself had I been able to, I think. And also, although it's something that I think I have anyhow, the absolute critical importance of perseverance because failure is simply learning a lesson the hard way and it teaches you those things that you shouldn't have done, which is why you failed. And the important thing is to be able to dust yourself down, stand up and say, right, won't do that again, moving on, and not to let it flatten you or exhaust you or stress you. You can learn a lot of lessons from failure. Yeah, absolutely. And resilience is a key part of the entrepreneurial mindset, isn't it, that we're going to dive into today. So could you start off by defining for us what you mean by an entrepreneurial mindset? The mindset of an entrepreneur is resilient, as we've said. It's really resourceful. If you run out of options, you find new options. And it's also very solutions oriented. It's not, here's a problem, it's what's the solution is the first, the first thing that comes to mind. So it's really about a set of skills that help people to identify opportunities and to make the most of those opportunities, whatever they are. There's something in there about overcoming and learning from setbacks and from failures but also it's about using feedback about failure as a learning opportunity. And I think a lot of people with that sort of can-do entrepreneurial growth type of mindset are very much more focused on the process, not on whether they succeed or don't succeed, but on whether they're doing it right in the first place. Yeah, yeah. I think there's less worry about failure. It's more how do we figure it out to get to the next stage with this? What do we need yes. to solve to, to progress this? So there is that problem-solving mindset in there for sure as well, isn't there? 
And do you think that people with an entrepreneurial mindset are born with it or do you think you can develop it? I think you probably are either born an entrepreneur or not. I think there's something fundamental in the nature of really successful entrepreneurs that they are born with. But I do think that you can teach people to be entrepreneurial. And there's something in that notion of a of opening up your mindset from being fixed and saying, I can't, um, I'll never do this. This is never going to work. Nobody's ever done this before. Therefore, why should I ever try? To the growth mindset of let's give it a shot. Let's see what happens. You know, people with that entrepreneurial mindset, they're people that tend to want to learn for life. They're knowledge seekers and they're creative thinkers and they're curious, interested people and quite critical thinkers as well, I think. I think they enjoy the journey as much as the outcome. It's interesting because I've done some of those DNA family history tests. I don't know if you've ever done any, but um, some of the reports you get back, they say there is an entrepreneurial gene. I need to look more into the science behind that. There is this factor that we can work with what we've got. We can always improve. We can always build forward, can't we, based on what we are. And it came back, one of those tests said that I would be average at language, but excellent at knowledge processing and maths. Now, my first degree was in modern languages at Oxford. And and I'm thinking about that. I'm I'm thinking, well, actually, probably language itself isn't the natural ability. I might have used some mathematical ways of seeing the world and, and some of the knowledge processing ability that I have to get good at languages. So we can always learn and do better, use what we've got more creatively and more wisely. So how do people develop more of an entrepreneurial mindset then? What are some of the things that people listening and watching can do? It's not impossible, and it, but there, it does take, I think, a certain positive intent to be more open to ideas. It's about being able to really powerfully communicate what it is that you're building your business on or the idea that you've got, um, being able to exchange and share those ideas with other people. So really, really strong communication skills, storytelling, really good storytellers generally have this ability. And it's also about the the sense that you really want to foster innovation and you're not scared of change. You're always up for new ideas, new ways of doing something. If something's not broken, break it. You know, that entrepreneurial mindset of thinking of different ways of doing things. It's not just a faster horse. Let's invent a car. Right. Looking at totally different ways of doing things. I hate the phrase outside the box, but it you know what I mean when I say yeah, it. It is that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it, is, it that. is. It's about focusing on what people want as well. It's about, you know, in the retail world, they'd say, you know, you give the customer what they want. Mm-hmm. Think about what people around you want and need. Where is the pain? Where can you add value to their life? And think about other people. It, that entrepreneurial mindset is much more outwardly focused rather than being focused on what can you yourself do? What do other people need and want and how can you maybe facilitate that? And that takes a certain amount of ability to motivate the people that you've got around you and to inspire them and to get them caught up in your story as well as and as much as you are yourself. Really difficult to do sometimes for some people if they are more introspective, but that doesn't mean that it's impossible. Mm. Yes, and and actually... You know, introspection means reflection and sometimes making better, less impulsive decisions as well. So it's about balancing that. And as you said earlier, it's about understanding yourself and your own strengths and areas that that could grow further, you know. So in my PhD thesis, I looked at intrapreneurship, which, of course, 
is being entrepreneurial in an existing organisation and surveyed the heck out of a few hundred industrialists who perceive themselves and the, the people around them perceive them to be great entrepreneurs. And the thing that they had in common was a really strong sense of self-efficacy, which yeah. is they would figure it out, even if they didn't know the answer and they knew they'd make you know mistakes and get things wrong along the way, but they would figure it out no matter what. They took action, they were challenging and could be obstreperous, but in a socially acceptable way. So they tread this line of sort of challenging the status quo whilst keeping people on side as needed so that they could influence and move forward. I just think it's a really fascinating area, you know, because I was, I was really interested in why are some people like that and other people are just happy to come in every day and do the same old, same old and, and prefer it. The reason that I looked at the music industry for my PhD, I was interested in the industry of music and I cannot play any musical instrument to save my life, so please don't ask me to, you'd be very upset. But I was fascinated by the business of music because it is based on people who I think are frequently natural entrepreneurs and they are driven to wake up at two o'clock in the morning to write the lyrics to a love song in a way that maybe an accountant might not want to wake up at two in the morning and do some double entry bookkeeping. It's just a, there's a different mindset there about the person that has that sort of innate inborn talent you know and that entrepreneurial mindset i think is is something that can be encouraged even if it's not something people feel they have it can be encouraged and drawn out of people i don't think that's impossible at all but that notion of an entrepreneur you mentioned i think is an interesting one because i think there are two sorts of entrepreneur there's the entrepreneur that you described in the large corporate but there's also the the slightly the sort of the subset if you like of that entrepreneur which is the bloody awkward person in a big corporate who's just too genius to get rid of, but impossible to manage. But they're the people that make the sparks fly, that sprinkle the fairy dust, that astonish and astound at the same time as they are irritating and driving you crazy because they don't fit in with the process. And there's something I quite like about that sort of intrapreneur. It's yeah. difficult to be that sort of person in a small business because you just, everything would implode. But in a large corporate, you do come across these people in, you know, your Procter & Gamble's and your Johnson Matthews, your great big international corporates. You find these one or two people that everybody rolls their eyes when they talk about, but they know they can't do without them because that's where the magic happens. And that indefinable fairy dust is what really fascinates me about that type of entrepreneur. Yeah, and they're so necessary. I think that, and the challenge is, is that so many leaders just don't know how to manage these really talented people. And it's about playing to their strengths, isn't it? And giving them the space and also the support and the mentoring and the coaching rather to help them with that without losing any of the spark and without any of that creativity. And what I think is one of the many super original things, lots of originality in what you do, is how you see the entrepreneurial mindset as a way of resetting boundaries and seeing yeah. opportunities where other people don't, which of course these some of these you know geniuses um, do, the irritating ones, and and of course you know the typical entrepreneur and entrepreneur. So yeah. could you share a bit about that? Because I think sometimes people do have an entrepreneurial mindset in that they have an idea, but it's the confidence to take that forward and reset their own boundaries before they start to think about resetting the boundaries in the outside world. 
Absolutely, because and particularly within a corporate environment, it's slightly different if you're running your own show, you know, you set your own boundaries in that space. But not everybody has the luxury of being able to do that. And in a larger environment, it is very, very easy to toe the line because that's what's expected. And for all of this potential for innovation to simply dissipate because you're too busy doing the day job. And there is a, a, a huge part of me that feels that women particularly suffer in this space because it's very difficult to say no even now even though things are nowhere near as bad as they used to be in terms of gender balance there is a very definite sense that i get that it's much more difficult for a woman to say oh i can't make that meeting at four o'clock i've got to do the school run i can't do that eight o'clock in the morning thing because i've got to get my mom to hospital whatever the driver might be that your external life imposes on your business life and part of that entrepreneurial mindset thinking i I believe very strongly is a real strong talking to to yourself, but also tapping into mentors and coaches that, and the people that you sort of scaffold around you to give you that strength to say, what are my barriers? What is my requirement for flexibility? What do I actually have to do for me to be happy and for me to do as well as I can possibly do? as an individual, not just as a worker, not just as a mother, not just as a daughter, not just as a wife or a husband or a partner or whatever, but there is a bit of it that's very gendered here. And the research shows that. And I think that if you can find a way to set your own boundaries in a way that works complementarily, is that a word? It's a word, I've made it a word. But if you can set those boundaries, there's nothing wrong with working flexibly and with if you're a nursing mom doing your emails at two o'clock in the morning. I'm not a great fan of saying, there shall be no emails after five o'clock at night, because that doesn't fit in with everybody, with caring responsibilities, with a life to live, with holidays to go on. I personally couldn't switch my email off to save my life. I hate the thought if I was away for a week that I'd come back and find a week's worth of chaos waiting for me. I'd far rather keep on top of things, but not everybody wants to do that. So knowing yourself, which takes mentoring and coaching and therapy and friends and family to tell you where you're letting yourself down and then setting those barriers so that you make the most of what you are capable of doing and what you need to do in the various guises that you adopt across the course of a day and a week and a month and a year, I think is really, really important. And that entrepreneurial mindset and the stuff that we think and read and talk about when we're talking about mindset in the classroom and in consultancy and everywhere else, touches every aspect of your life and really should. This is not, you know, entrepreneurial mindset isn't just for the workplace. It also should be applicable to your entire working environment because it's very much about helping you to be a better leader, a better partner, a better, a better parent, helping you to solve problems, helping you to spot opportunities that support your performance at work, but also your personal well-being. And being able to define problems properly, being able to understand where you have to stop and say no, makes you more efficient when you decide that you need to start and say yes. Yeah, it's about risk as well, isn't it? It's about getting more comfortable taking risk. And I, I see it as moving out of the comfort zone through the fear zone, try and just push through that, you know, keep your eyes closed, take a deep breath, get through it into the learning zone. And then from there, growth and starting to achieve some of the goals and ambitions. And there's nothing wrong with having those, I think you call them stretch goals. I, yeah. I absolutely agree with you on that. There's nothing wrong with being scared. 
There's nothing wrong with thinking, oh my Lord, what am I doing? As long as you have calculated the risks, you've supported yourself in the process, you know what you're trying to do and you're not scared of failure. You know, you're throwing the dice on your entire, your house, your children's inheritance and your relationship with your partner is a bit of a big ask. I wouldn't suggest anyone did that. But a calculated risk in order to achieve a stretch goal where you're slightly outside your comfort zone, but it's going to help you to achieve something bigger in the long run. That's sort of scary, but sort of exciting at the same time. And it's yeah. about how you do that and how you put the layers in place on the way to that stretch goal, that stretch target that yeah. is where, you know, friends, family, mentors, coaches can be hugely valuable people to bounce these ideas off. I'm a big fan of micro actions. So breaking the stretch goal down into what are the micro actions and then focusing on those, you know, doing the first one, then the next one, then the next one and making it small. So minimum viable proposition actually in goal setting achievement, what's the, what's the MVP uh, just to move forward and get some progress, get to the next bit and then go again and go again. One yeah. of those things I wish the retrospectoscope had shown me when I was running my own businesses because I had the tendency to get a big investment and then spend the whole lot in one place quickly because yeah. I felt that was the right thing to do instead of thinking, right, we now have some money in the bank. Where's the best place to spread it out a little more thinly and keep some behind us? There's, there's not a lot of scope for perfectionism in entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial mindset. I mean, there are some products and services that do need to do the job in a very precise well-engineered and perfect way but in terms of getting there and the prototyping and the journey we don't get there often the first time the first attempt do we it's no. an iterative process and I think it's about finding things that we care enough about actually to keep us going we, you know we talked about resilience and perseverance and one of the big ingredients in that is caring enough to want to keep going when it gets really tough Absolutely. And I think this is also where the difference between creativity and innovation comes in. You know, your people with an entrepreneurial mindset, we've already discussed that they're, they're sort of full of new ideas, bursting with with things that they're they're keen to deploy. But you know, creativity is is that process of thinking of thinking of new things, that opportunity recognition process. Innovation is doing them. And you've got to really care about something to do it. You can think about a gazillion new ideas before breakfast, like the Red Queen, um, but actually implementing them, that takes heart and soul and money and contacts and time and support that not everybody has. So the innovation process is much trickier than just the creative coming up with the idea in the first place. So we often do things together, don't we, which I really, really, really enjoy. And I learn so much from you in the, in the process of, of working alongside you and Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy it. What would your insights be for leaders who are thinking, you know, am I the, the only one that's, that's having the ideas around here? And oh, why can't we just, you know, think differently? Why can't we be better at keeping up with the competition? How can leaders encourage a more entrepreneurial mindset amongst their colleagues in the business? Yeah, that's and it's a difficult one because as the leader of an organization, the spotlight's on you. So anything you do that's different to what you did before immediately makes everybody sit up and pay attention. So you're going to be even more in the spotlight if you suddenly revolutionize things. I think there's a sense that in looking at entrepreneurial mindset, you know, you don't climb a mountain from the top. You've got to start at the bottom of the mountain and work your way up. And 
organizations and leaders who decide that this mindset is a really important thing to them, I think would be very well advised to start with identification of a cohort of people who they feel would grasp the opportunity to learn more about this and putting in place some coaching, some training, send them off on a course, bring a course into them, whatever, to try and ensure that they start to establish a pipeline a little bit further back down the mountain so that those employees not only get the benefit of thinking about stretch goals and thinking about opportunity recognition and thinking about how to overcome barriers and how to be more innovative in that workplace environment, which will benefit the workplace in the first place, but also they will talk about it. The water cooler effect is really powerful and other people in the organization will start to get the sense that the culture of the organization isn't being imposed from the top down, can't climb a mountain from the top, the organization is working from the bottom up to try and ensure that the culture becomes more entrepreneurial, more open to opportunities and ideas, better at overcoming barriers, better at trying to find new and different ways without scaring the horses or stopping the day job or giving their employees different ways to think that will make them individually more open to opportunities and therefore the organization more successful. It's about competitive advantage. And those organizations with this open innovation mindset will ultimately be far more successful than those who think we've always done it this way. We always have to do it this way. Let's close the doors to new ideas and just keep going and stick our fingers in our ears and sing, you can't do that anymore. I love that metaphor that you can't climb a mountain starting at the top. That's brilliant. That's absolutely fantastic. What are some practical things that, so you've said, get a cohort together, get some like-minded individuals, bring them in further down the mountain. And what are some sort of practical organisational things that leaders can do themselves to role model that they are demonstrating an entrepreneurial mindset themselves? Yeah, role modelling is really important. I mean, yes, you need to work with your individual employees and in smaller groups, but you do need to role model it yourself. And, you know, the, the academic definition of culture, which is the way we do things around here, does start at the top for any organisation, there's no doubt. I think a leader who is seen to be engaging with lots of different types of organisation is really inspiring. If you've got somebody at the top of your tree and you are in a, I don't know, a mountain boot factory, right? And you're running this mountain boot factory and you are the leader. If all of a sudden you start engaging with somebody who leads an orchestra and you start holding leadership forums with people from the third sector and people from the marine sector, and if you're seen to be mixing and matching those people around you that you are peers with, but are in completely different environments, that's really quite inspiring because there's this, it's the theory, you know, I love the Granovetta theory, this chap called Granovetta who, who wrote a paper called The Strength of Weak Ties. And the fundamental principle here is that people that you know, people in your industry, people in your family are completely uninformative because you know them, you know what they know, you know who they know, you know them. They are trustworthy, this is the paradox, but they don't really inform you. Whereas the weak ties in your life, those people that know people that know people that you know, those people who maybe have in common with you a job title, but have a completely different industry, completely different background, can be hugely informative because they bring new information to the party. 
And I think that any organization benefits from having a leader who is seen to draw on many different spaces in life for their inspiration and for their input. So bringing a coach in for the leadership team who's from the world of sport, for example, there's loads of transferable skills between sport and business, or from the military and business. Again, lots of transferable skills, but totally different war stories. And it helps with that creative thinking to identify the opportunities and get those ideas in the first place. I call it synthetic thinking. I don't mean synthetic as in the artificial sense, but you know, synthesizing data points from all sorts of different places and turning them into something useful and interesting that yeah. other people might not get there because they're not connecting the dots in the right way. And, and in other ways that it, it can it can bring some really interesting partnerships together. There's a really lovely paper that was written about the Claren Formula One team who started to work with the NHS to help them triage the ambulance arrival process more efficiently. They're trying to do things really quickly, get them in, get them sorted, get them out. And that's exactly what the NHS was trying to do. And that sort of synthesis, which is a great word, is really interesting, but it doesn't happen if you only speak to people in your industry. It only happens if you go outside. The McLaren team also worked with rail, this is a while ago, and with low-cost airlines so they could turn the maintenance around really quickly to have more planes flying, generating more revenue and incurring less parking fees at uh, in airport terminals. So, and, and this is the thing, isn't it? There's inspiration all around us, but only if we're open to seeing it, tapping into it and just to thinking creatively. That's really important. And I wonder if this increase in working from home, that in some roles, not all roles, some people are in frontline roles and have to be out there in a certain place at a certain time. Do you think that working from home helps or hinders the entrepreneurial mindset? I've heard, and in fact know a couple of myself, um, of stories about people who over lockdown, because they were neurodivergent and felt somewhat attacked by the outside world as lockdown happened and as they were able to focus and concentrate and they knew the rest of the world was focusing and concentrating they come up with some fantastic ideas so you know in the interests of diversity neurodiversity and neurodivergent people can be helped by that ability to the increasing acceptance of the fact that you can work from home and zoom and teams and you know all of those other technologies make it perfectly reasonable just to say well i can't meet you but i'll see you anyhow here's a link And that's enabled a whole new range of people with some fabulous creative ways of thinking to engage and to create business ideas and opportunities for people that might not otherwise have been able to do so. And equally think about, you know, working mums and those people who might have felt that because they couldn't physically get out of their house for whatever reason, if they were disabled or if they were tied down with caring responsibilities, it doesn't mean they can't do something. And that's empowering, that's encouraging, and that's exciting. So the whole sort of lockdown period, I think, generated some really interesting opportunities for people who would never otherwise have had the opportunity to explore their entrepreneurial side. And I think that's really exciting. Yeah, I mean, what, what it's opened up for me certainly is it's made the world more accessible. It's so much easier to collaborate. Now, I was using all the Zoom and equivalent tools before lockdown, but not as extensively. It's become far more acceptable generally. What it's helped me to do is to connect with people all over the world. And yes, it's nice to go and see people as well and you know, still travel and do all those things. But that virtual collaboration 
can inspire so much more creativity and international opportunity from an entrepreneurial perspective. It can. It's that strength of weak ties thing again, isn't it? All of a sudden, yeah. that network of ties that you have isn't just yeah. regional and the you know the local sort of Friday morning meetings that you go to with local businesses, but it's a global phenomenon. And certainly, from my perspective as a as a lecturer, I've had some amazing people in my classroom that I would never have been able to get before because they wouldn't have even considered using technology because they're a bit clunky. But, you know, now it's perfectly feasible to say, I know you're in Florida, but if we can get the time zones right, would you spend half an hour yeah. with my students? So very grateful for that and the, the opportunities it brings and also through social media like LinkedIn and others to create those connections as well. I think there's this huge opportunity. And the final question for you is around education and entrepreneurial mindset and, and entrepreneurship more generally because I know there's an academic and practical debate around well can you learn entrepreneurship can you learn to be a better entrepreneur it clearly can because what you said at the start of this show is that if you'd known some of the things you know now you would have made some of the mistakes that you made right. back then if entrepreneurs are thinking, you know, or potential entrepreneurs are thinking, you know, would like to learn more, where should they start in terms of getting that entrepreneurial mindset education, if you like, the more you know, formal structured way of learning so that they can then go and implement it in the business? Well, there are executive education courses that we run here at Durham University that, you know, organisations are tapping into, but individuals can come along on as well. There are all sorts of online opportunities that fit in rather better with most people's day jobs, like the online MBA, which is one that you do in your own time at your own pace with residential options so that you can come and you can do an entire MBA like that if you want, or you can do little tiny bite-sized pieces of work. You know, the fundamental principle is if you don't build your dream yourself somebody else is going to hire you to build theirs aren't they so you know I think it's a great thing to tap into the opportunities that exist to learn more because as I said if I knew then what I know now I think I would be in a very different place I'd like to think I'd still be teaching because I do enjoy the opportunity to engage with my students and I learn just as much when I teach as I do when uh, I'm out in the field working with organizations but there are huge numbers of places like the universities, like local colleges. And I'm, you know, I'm contactable. I'm on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. You know, I'm always happy to talk to people if they're interested to find out more. And you and I work together lots as well. So, you know, we do. You know Joanna, that is absolutely wonderful. Thank you very much indeed. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure. As always, lovely working with you. But, you know, this stuff is really important. We have a generation of of kids coming through primary, secondary, further education, higher education, going out into apprenticeships. The world is, is changing rapidly. We need to deal with climate change. We have to deal with an increasingly expensive environment. The opportunity to think creatively, innovatively, entrepreneurially, to overcome barriers, it's never been more important than it is now. And every, everything and anything we can do to help this next generation coming through, I really think that it's important that we do. Absolutely. Very, very well said. Dr. Joanna Berry, thank you very much indeed. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Idea Time Show, brought to you by Dr. Joe North. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and access more completely free resources at bigbangpartnership.co.uk forward slash resources. We'll see you next time.